This is episode 93 of the Creative Giant Show. I'm Charlie Gilkey. Thanks for sharing a little bit of your amazing day with me. While a lot of career paths aren't linear, Creative Giants in particular often seem to have dramatically nonlinear career progressions. One of the reasons for this is that we're often actually pursuing multiple passions or growth edges at once. Christopher Carter joins me today to share his journey from a corporate sales guy to creative powerhouse and back to a corporate catalyst for mindfulness. It's a wild journey, but that's a bit par for the course with Casey. Ready? Let's do this. Welcome to the Creative Giant Show, where we go behind the scenes about what it means to live a life full of creative and professional success. Creative giants are talented, renaissance souls with a compassion-fueled bias towards action. Now, here is your host, Charlie Gilkey. If you're struggling to keep up with processing your email, SaneBox might be just the tool you need. It has saved me hours of time each month, and the amount of peace of mind I get from it is priceless. SaneBox sorts through your email and moves all of the trivial stuff into a different folder, so the only messages in your inbox are the ones you actually want to see. Aside from removing all of the junk so you can focus on the messages that matter, there's this great feature called the black hole. Move an email into that folder and you'll never hear from the sender again. One and done. Just how we like it. Because email can be such a bear and keep you from finishing the stuff that matters, we worked out a great deal for our listeners. Visit sanebox.com forward slash giant and they'll throw in an extra $25 credit on top of the two-week free trial. You don't have to enter the credit card information unless you decide to buy, so there's really nothing to lose. Again, that's S-A-N-E-B-O-X dot com forward slash giant. Hello, Creative Giants. I'm delighted to introduce you to KC Carter. That's Christopher Carter, but we all call him KC. KC is a culture expert for rapid growth companies, and he helps businesses thrive through his speaking events and training programs. Since 2007, Casey has helped Centro, a Chicago-based digital media firm, win numerous awards for workplace culture. Centro has been named the number one best place to work by Fortune Magazine, Advertising Age, and for four consecutive years by Crane's Business Chicago. Most recently, Business Insider covered Casey's technology-free radical sabbaticals. In 2016, Casey launched Camelot Culture Group, which optimizes workplace culture to drive personal and organizational transformation. A devout cryoban yogi with self-realization fellowship, Casey resides in Akron, Ohio with his wife and three children. Casey, thanks so much for joining me today for the Creative Giant Show. I always love talking to you, my man. And so, yeah, it's just great to have Casey, Chrissy, Christopher Carter on the, on the episode today. <laughs> It's kind of surreal, Gilkey. I mean, we spend so much time at Good Life Project events and stuff. Um, I've been a fan of your podcast from afar. I just listened to Michael Bungay Stanier's episode last week and while I was mowing grass. So I'm kind of uh, really honored to be here jamming with you today. That's great. Well, you know, the thing that I most want to show is, you know, when I've been thinking about your evolution um, as, as a creative giant from um, sort of incorporate, like deeply incorporate to yeah. um, sort of having the 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 merge of an entrepreneurial thing going on with this epic life and then you've got you know in corporate but in a different way because of the the revelations that you've had going on and then just all the shifts i think like this is a perfect example of um someone who 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 um 
in many ways hasn't taken the road, you know, commonly traveled. Um, and I want to start with, uh, if, if you don't mind me, Chrissy, on this one, start yeah. with because, you know, the first time I remember meeting you was in Boulder, right? Yeah. And um, to make a long story very short, you're like, I'm gone. I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm going to do the whole thing, right? <laughs> I knew, knew you are going to bring this up in the first two minutes. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and, and so it's like, but wait a minute. There's something there for you. There's something still there for you, right? And yeah. I kind of wanted to show that because that was, I think, you know, I think we all sort of find those points in our career where we realize that the way that I'm doing something for me is not working and I got to do something different. Yeah. And so if you can kind of take us back to that time, what, what was not working for you and what did you need to make space for? Sure, sure. Well, that was, uh, you're talking about the summer of 2012. I was in the Good Life Project immersion, uh, which was, you know, 10 months at the time of extreme uh, introspection on the career tip and personal tip. Uh, So you saw me about halfway through that process. And I had concluded at that point, falsely, thank God, that uh, I just had to quit the job because it was holding me back, man, from doing all the things I'm here to do in the world. And you and and Jonathan Fields, who ran the program, were, were really uh, clear on what I had going for me. And I was kind of blind to it at the time because I was, so, I was so focused on my specific role at the time, which was being a sales director. I was the head of a $7 million region. I had built the region from scratch and I had done it for about five years at that point. And what you guys were seeing was what I was kind of, you know, excited about on the side, which was we were winning the, all these awards for culture. I had a huge part of that culture because I was kind of the torchbearer for it. And um, so you guys saw this guy that had this great career at a great company that just didn't happen to like what he was doing currently. And I was just kind of blind with fury, wanting to blow it all up. And I think that's the common scenario you're talking about. Most people just want to blow it up based on what they're doing that day. Yeah. And, and the reason I want to say that is, is, you know, Casey, you and I have been part of a conversation around this and I talked to Lauren F a few weeks ago about this, but it's, it's kind of an air, right? Um, entrepreneurship, especially that direct vote for entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Right. Sure. And because yeah. at that time, you know, you had the family, you had your nice house in Ohio, you know, you had all those types of things going for like, hold on, hold on, wait a second. Like, if you blow that up, that has consequences that may not, right. <laughs> may not be in alignment with your full set of values here. You know, I, I believe your specific uh, challenge that you brought up, which was so great at the time, which was, yeah, I'm just going to be real with you here, Casey. You have no content, you have no case studies, you have no, you know, all you have is, you know, the dream. And then you have this family and career and all this stuff, other stuff at risk. And, and then it made me realize, oh, right, I do need that body of work created. And that kind of started me on this hardcore path of creating the body of work, which, you know, four years ago this summer, you know, I, I finally felt, um, you know, earlier this year, I was at the point to, you know, make a much smarter leap, you know, but I, I really give you and Jonathan so much credit for not um, kind of furthering that mythology that so many of us find in the online space, which is everyone has to be a solopreneur, organizations are the devil, everyone is trying to escape from cubicle nation or, you know, so I had a lot of things going for me and you guys really helped me see that uh, there was a much more logical path of getting there. All right, I'm going to do some um, forward jumping here because, you know, one of the things that is about you is that you are um, a Kriyabhan yogi, right, with, with self-realization yeah. and things like that. So, mm-hmm. that's now. 
Right. Right. That wasn't then, right? Yeah, well, I was about six months into it. I hadn't taken the vows at that point, but I, I started teach. I started really practicing the teachings uh, as I started Good Life Project. And I think that double whammy of introspection is what accelerated my growth. Yeah. Um, and the reason I want to say this, because, you know, really the, the thread there is that there, I think if we zoom out and we not talk about our professional lives, we talk about yeah. just our lives in general, there's this goodness that's there mm. that, we don't see right we don't really take seriously but we we place a lot of our attention on the stuff that's not there the difference between where we are and where we want to be right yeah yeah um and so i just wanted to pull that out because that's common for everyone man and i'm i'm wondering as you um as you have progressed through different stages which we'll talk about how have you become more present to that goodness that's there and not always focusing on that delta Gosh, I, you know, I, I feel it in my body when you ask me that because it, it as you practice Kriya Yoga, just so for people that don't know what Kriya Yoga is, um, uh, the guru whose teachings I follow, Paramahansa Yogananda, wrote a very famous book called Autobiography of a Yogi. And he really espouses the virtues and the practice of Kriya Yoga. It's this ancient science of God realization through meditation. So it's very pointed, focused meditation around the chakra centers and it helps you evolve. But when, um, in terms of um, focusing on the good, you know, I've been in nothing since leaving my corporate job earlier this year. For example, in January, I also signed uh, to do a full house renovation and move, you know, at the same time. So it was kind of like double high stakes from where I was, you know, four years ago. And um, so I have the miracle of the home taking shape every day around me, but then I have the uncertainty of launching a business, you know, so massive amounts of cash flow for the home, no guarantee of income at the same time, you know, for the first time since I was 15, I've always had a, a next paycheck coming. Talk about a career guy. And, um, the, the, the practice, the reason why I'm so steadfast and so serious about practicing and teaching others to practice is that there becomes an undercurrent of what I call the signal. And the signal is your intuitive guidance. It's your all is wellness, the benevolence in the universe that we know is there. You know, these, these same forces coming at us that challenge us or keep us stuck in the job or whatever it may be are the same forces that push us forward. And, you know, we can be like the surfer and try to ride those waves or we could let them bowl us over. Um, so the, the practice for me is just about always maintaining the good. You know, my grandfather trained me well. His quote was that quote has been used in a lot of movies. It always works out in the end. Mm -hmm. So if it's not working out. It's not the end. Thank God, you know, um, but I do, most days, I can literally laugh at the ridiculousness of, of the situation. And then, you know, then before you know it, it starts getting better. Yeah. So, you know, I'm always interested because a lot of times when we talk about mindfulness practices and spiritual practices, they have, in some ways, they have this way in which like there's this time during the day where you carve out and you sit on a mat or you pray or you read a book, you light a candle, whatever your thing is, right? Mm -hmm. And then you go into the world, right? Yeah, right. And there's like this world, this is spiritual time, and then there's lifetime. And um, yeah. not, not the channel, right? Um, but the thing about it is, is that I think what I, what I like hearing about is the way that people create like 
lifetime to be spiritual time, right? And those, yeah. in those processes by which when you rec- recognize you're in this moment and you're feeling this way, or um, I'll use a more behavioral thing, stimulus X, right? Yeah. Happens, right. I yeah. think practices like this give you response Y that's different, right? Yes. That's fundamentally different. So I'm just wondering, like when stimulus X happens, what's your trigger? Right. Yeah, to, to go to go into the practice to become very aware. Yeah, yeah. So I, I always, in terms of my meditation teachings that I kind of lay on people, is that I always I always talk about the the cumulative deposit. So you're making five minutes, ten minutes, fifteen minute deposits every single day in the little piggy bank of your consciousness, and then it has the compounding return. And the compounding return can come in waves of joy when you're doing something blissful and fun, or it could come when you spill a full bag of coffee grounds all over your kitchen you know, in, in front of your kids and, and, you know, everyone is stressed out. Um, cause what I do is when those things happen, I immediately smile and I say, awesome. <laughs> you know, so I do that, you know, Tony Robbins, you know, Jedi mind trick on my body and say, I'm going to em- empower my will to change my physiology and, and make something different out of this. That comes from the practice because there, there are still plenty of curveballs that come where your first, you know, is F expletive, you know, or whatever. Um, but the, for me, the practice is, I was speaking with monks back in December, uh, counseling on my own spiritual practice. And I was really, you know, more and more, I find myself starved for time, you know, and, and my, my reputation is one of a time bender. That's what Jonathan Fields calls me. I get a lot of things done somehow despite myself, but I was start, as my kids get older, they need different things. And as these houses become more demanding, we need different, different things. And what the monks basically told me was that, I, I was I was there trying to optimize what 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 us yogis call the sadhana or the spiritual quest. How much time we need to allocate every day for our spiritual effort. And the monk just said, you know what what our friend Susan Piver tells me, which is everything is sadhana. Everything is retreat. You can't just have be on retreat for one week out of the year and then go back into your crazy life. You have to take the retreat with you and say, if I'm in this airport, this is my practice. You know, if I'm in this. Um, you know, screaming car full of children. This is my practice. You know, and I'm not saying it's always easy, but that's the practice. Yeah. I mean, fundamentally life is the practice. Yes. Yes. And, you know, and I would argue that entrepreneurship is the ultimate (laughs) gauntlet. You know, it's, it's, uh, I, I'm so grateful you guys gave me and encouraged me to take four more years of hardcore spiritual and family discipline before I took that on too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, and so, all right. So, backtracking so you're like okay i'm gonna i'm gonna stick with the corporate thing because i need i yeah. need that um i need that to be my first client really yes yeah, so ex- i needed i needed the experience yeah you needed the experience but you're chrissy carter and you yeah. couldn't just do the one thing you had to have this epic life on the side right right um and you, then you know as you get more and more involved and just doing your thing you started getting more and more involved in the good life project and things like that right yeah and so that's where this whole time bender esque thing came up right and mm-hmm. so um you know this this is on the brain today for me because i just come from the quiet power strategy summit and and like so many people that one of the you know i i had a few of the questions and apparently these are the questions people bring to me i've got three different things going on yeah. And it's not working for me. <laughs> right, right. It's not it's usually not sustainable nor nor scalable usually. It's usually not sustainable or scalable and fundamentally it's frustrating because here's the thing. Yeah. You can do three things okay. 
Yeah. But you can't do three things excellently. Right. And you get to that point to where you realize that like, here's, here's, you know, here's the way I want to say it. Where marketing and operations go astray mm-hmm. is that you can tell a, a distinct, compelling, unique story Mm-hmm. As, i.e. a brand, right? right. Um, really easily. We can carve out those. You can't deliver on that story. Yeah. <laughs> unless you can write that story, right? And right, like, operations right. come in. You can't do all of the work that it takes to deliver on the promises that yes. you have with these brands. Promises to yourself, promises to your team, promises to your customers, right? Right. Um, so, you know, you recently um, got news that you weren't expecting when it came to Centro, but I want to replay yeah. like two years ago, right? Or, or yeah. when you recognize Yeah, working the three jobs. Working the three jobs. Um, yeah. What was that like for you? And how, how did you come to that point where you realized like, you know what, this isn't working for me. Uh, yeah, I don't need all, yeah, I don't need to be all these things to all these people. Um, well, first of all, I'm grateful for that education uh, because I have, I happen to have three jobs and three children. And, uh, I thought that that was always a pretty interesting, um, commonality in that I, I, I don't have the option of raising any one of those three poorly or mediocre. My, my wife would murder me in my sleep. I have to, Gail, have to yeah, Gail is a badass. She would murder you. Yeah. We have to do it excellently. So, uh, my, my thing with the three jobs is the way I looked at it was a part of it was tied to your challenge in Jonathan's challenge of sticking with the job. And I knew I needed a whole host of skills and experiences to prepare myself for being out on my own. And I would say the biggest evolution that needed to happen was that I needed to become the content of what I'm selling. I was chasing this notion of always having to produce these gorgeous experiences or these phenomenal artistic designs. And as you know, I'm incredibly anal and artistic about the content I present. But uh, when I was sitting in front of the CEO of Centro last week, coming full circle uh, with him as my potential client, I have to realize that I am the content now. And how you become the content is by surviving working three jobs and having three kids and all those things. Um, I don't recommend it. It's not for the faint of heart. I happen to be an Enneagram 7, and I'm working towards being an integrated Enneagram 7, which means I have to meditate a lot to focus. But I would say somebody who's, a, you know, is an example a little further down the road of that journey is somebody like Michael Bogestanier, who you interviewed. I mean, he is, you know, laser focused on the word coaching and teaching others to coach. And I know that over the long term, I'm going to get there with, you know, my focus on culture. But in the meantime, I needed to be kind of um, willing to wear as many hats as possible. And I would say on my best days, my best days of the year with any of those jobs, this epic life, good life project, I would say camp falls into the best days of the year for good life project for me or Centro. I get paid and I get um, rewarded for showing up and being the full expression of myself. Obviously, there are many difficult days leading up to those days where I have to prepare myself for that. But um, those are the kind of the days and the dragons that I'm chasing, you know, is to be that fullest expression. So I, I'm still, you know, am I still involved with all those organizations? Hell yeah. Are there probably more of them now in terms of my client base? Oh yeah, for sure. But uh, I am trying to be more um, intelligent about how I allocate my effort towards them. So let's talk about, um, I think there's a flip side of this, communicating expectations and boundaries. Yeah. Yep. Right. Um, Because the thing about it is, um, even when you're great at overreaching and still getting it done, 
Yeah. There's times in which you overreach and don't get it done. Oh, face palming fails. Yeah, for sure. Um, so talk to us a little bit about how you negotiate those, those overreaches and, yeah. and those types of things. Yeah. To- well, it, it, I think it starts and ends with communicating with your partner, your, your spouse. Uh, I, obviously, I could not... Um, I could not pull off what I'd do if I wasn't married to the right person. She understood. We've been together since a very young age. Uh, we met when we were 19 and 20. And uh, she knows that I had a, a very unique mission on earth, I would say. Uh, so the, the negotiation starts with her. And then it's about uh, clearing all of my commitments by the tower, which is her. So if I, if, I decree, if I agree to be in Costa Rica with Good Life Project, it's okay, what's, what's really the prep involved in doing that and what's really the, you know, the off-ramp after that? Um, if I agree to have a full-time job or a full-time client load, what does that really mean? So I start and end with Gail. And then once I clear it by Gail, as you mentioned, she is kind of badass, right? Tattoos and everything included. Uh, I can very easily communicate that to the decision makers or my clients, you know, so I'm, I am instituting communication policies and I am, I do actually a pretty good job of training the people I work with on how to communicate with me and what is what and what isn't appropriate. Um, if it was just open season on my time, I always tell people, I'm a, even though if I work one-to-one with people, I say I'm usually a one-to-many solution. I'm not a one-to-one solution and I can't be evaluated as such. Um, but, you know, is, are there always those, you know, rubs where you, you know, come up short and you feel like you're letting people down? Definitely, you know. Um, however, my, my, oh, my end goal is always to, you know, net net at the end of the day. And I had to do a lot of this with Centro, looking back at nine years of what I delivered and didn't deliver and say, in the end, they had a hyper-engaged employee who became an ambassador and an evangelist for the culture. And in return, I made a great living and built a great career. So as long as I'm happy with the net net, I'm fine. But I, I, I try not to evaluate myself too harshly on the, you know, pivots and failures. Yeah. So things are going along just fine, right? You're, you're doing your, this epic life thing. You're doing your good life project thing yeah. and you're doing your Centro thing. Um, and then you decide, you know, it's time to go on a spiritual sabbatical. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked about that. Well, it was one of those things where I found out I was, the timing of this was really interesting, you know, and I, you know me well enough personally, Charlie, where I, I do recognize very clearly the hand of God and guru and so much of what I do. And I was interviewed last year for, uh, by Business Insider about the sabbatical program for Centro. And then right after I, I gave the interview, I was so pumped up and hype about it. I get this you know, notification from our HR team saying I'm eligible again for my second sabbatical, three weeks paid in addition to all the leave and vacation we get to take. So I scheduled it for December and we went out to Encinitas, California, where Autobiography of a Yogi was written and took my family, gave up technology for the month. And my whole goal uh, was to come to some sort of reconciliation about all of these jobs and this career and where I spent so much time and knowing and having good, strong evidence that I'm making a, a serious impact in people's lives well outside of the company. Um, so I asked on my way out of a uh, eight hour all day Christmas meditation, I asked the guru for that reconciliation and I can't exactly explain what it came back as, but it came back as a, 
you've been heard kind of a vibe, you know, and I didn't know how it would manifest, but, you know, January 4th, I'm, I'm, I'm back a few days from uh, California, all blissed out from meditating all month. And my computer stops working for work and I have to show up on January 4th to start working for the company again. So I decided to drive to Chicago to have my computer worked on. So I didn't have to wait two days to ship my computer back and forth because I work remote. And that was when, that was the day that I simultaneously purchased, faxed my home agreement to buy my house and commit to the renovation and find out that my position was being eliminated from the budget. Uh, so the reconciliation was now complete. <laughs> it, was, it was totally a, be careful what you wish for, but get ready for probably the ride of your life, you know, and it, it definitely has been a little bit of both of that. Yeah. So here we go. We have a guy that's been working his butt off since he was 15. Yeah. Used to having three JLBs. Mm-hmm. Now you got nothing. Right. But a house. A whole lot of house. Yeah. How do you, how do you slow down? Yeah. How do you slow down? How does one, I mean, cause I think though we've been talking about your sort of personal and professional evolution and how that's been co-weaving with you. Yeah. Right. Um, I know like if everything came to a halt and I had like, you know, three months of no real professional work to do, you know, I'd be like, Hmm. Who am I? What do I do? Who am I? What do I do? What's going on now? Like, yeah. So tell us a little bit about that interim period there. Like, I mean, just the journey there. Right. Well, first of all, I I committed early on to making the whole period. I would, I would only work on, I knew that there was some personal transformation needed and happening you know, regardless. So I I worked really hard from the beginning on mindset. You know, I had a weekly call with uh, my friend who's an energy worker healer and I I got really amazing results. It felt like accelerated therapy to be able to navigate this growth curve. And I know part of the growth curve was slowing down because I I just go as fast as I possibly can all the time. Um, And also I knew that I could only work on, you'd be proud of me, Charlie, for the first time in my life, it was very evident. You must only focus on one thing at a time. (laughs) So, so if I had company to launch and um, house to renovate and family to get settled, it was house to renovate and family to get settled. So I only focused on that. And I actually got a lot of, um, a lot of benefit from just focusing on physical work for the first time in, in a long time, you know, lifting boxes, helping the contractor crews, keep everybody moving, shutting my computer for weeks at a time, getting completely off of social media and email. It was a really um, great reminder of how fulfilling that can be actually seeing things get done every day versus swimming in the static of, is it ever done? You know, I did that for, for the last 10 years of my career. So, um, just focusing on that really helped me stay busy and, and maintain that sense of purpose. Um, there was also countless things to, you know, buy and shop for with the house, which I hate doing, but it, it kept me grounded, you know? So as long as I could say every day I'm moving closer to get my family settled, then I could confidently say once that's done, the business will launch itself. Yeah. So sort of two observations here. One is that this extended your sabbatical. It, it yeah, altered five months. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It alters the sabbatical, but just what you just said, I, I think you have the net get net net mentality. Like throughout all the craziness that happens, is my family better settled than not? Right? Than than what it was? Right? Yeah. And I just wanted to pull that out because I think that's a, a mindset piece for people who are going through massive growth and transition. 
mm-hmm. and you, you're going to drop things. Things are going to be rough, right? So it's, me- so it's messy and it's ugly and it's humbling, you know? Yeah. But that sort of this, this was my KPI as it were. Right? Yeah. And I moved that needle regardless of whatever else happened. Well, I, I'm glad you brought that one up because the night that I was riding back from Chicago, I was taking a train out of Chicago and I, I had no job and uh, a giant house on the, on the horizon. And I hadn't told my wife yet. I called Gail <laughs> yeah. and I told her what was happening with the job. And we all kind of saw it coming intuitively that something was shifting. They had, Centro had, had un, you know, unfortunately needed to make some restructurings in December while I was gone and mine fell in that. And, um, you know, I, I have nothing but love and respect for the company. I didn't take it, you know, super personally, but when I told my wife, her first response was, okay, this means we're not moving forward with the house. And I said, oh no, quite the contrary. This is why we're moving forward with the house. And it was, it was crazy. But my metric or KPI, as you mentioned, was seeing our teenage age kids before we know it, they're going to be, they're, they're little now, but they will grow up in this house. I felt that feeling and that rush of energy from the second I walked in this place, looking at, at the sun exploding through the skylights, looking out at the pools, seeing the potential of this place. And this place feels like where a baller, high-paid speaker consultant lives. You know? And if I could get through the winter and the, 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 the hard part of building the company, if all I need is the business to be one fraction of the miracle that this home was. And because it was obviously handed to me by a God and guru. And I just, um, I know that if I align with that energy once on the home tip that the, com- I will figure it out on the business tip. So yeah, but the family and the home came first. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, throughout all of this, you, you know, the next thing or the current thing for you is the Camelot culture group, right? Yeah. It pulls together this idea of culture team and sort of the remote leader. Um, yeah. Obviously, we can see, you know, the, the reason I want to have the conversation this way is you, now you kind of see how all of that comes together and makes sense, right? <laughs> yeah, right. thank God, right? Yeah. Right, um, as opposed to like if we would have started the other way, it's like, what? How do we these three things coming together, right? Yeah. Um, so, of the work that, that you're doing with Camelot, what mm-hmm. is the thing that's got you the most jazzed? Like if I were to be the pain in the butt, like I sometimes am to you and say, say, you know, Chrissy, you can't do all three. You only hit to do yeah. one. What yeah. would you focus on and why? What, what, which, which are the three core programs? Yep. You know, I want to create the mindful culture. You know, he, he, he's referring to my three um, core programs, the mindful culture, aligned teams and remote leader. And all three of them um, are to me integral kind of aspects of a legendary workplace culture, a culture where people want to stick around, a people where a culture where people thrive and become committed. And I would say probably the hardest road to hoe of those three, but also the most vital and, and powerful in my experience has been the mindful culture, which is if I get executives specifically and leaders to meditate outside the company, commit to every single day for 30 days and then become avid meditators, their, their teams and the culture around them will absolutely transform inside the company. And so my, my journey over the next few years will be, you know, um, codifying that and uh, proving it out. So what I'm hearing is there's this convergence between like, that's the foundational piece upon which the others rest. Yes. Or is it that that one's the easiest place to start? No, that one is for me, you know, and this is the takeaway for the audience is to start with what you would, 
what we, what you would almost do for free or so passionate about, but can conceivably, you know, get some good money in the door. And, um, it, it, part of it is that, but it, to me, it's it, reflection for leadership is a non-negotiable. And I've been lucky to be developed by some of the most powerful def, uh, reflective leaders ever, you know, you and Jonathan included, but also uh, the founder CEO of Centro was probably my biggest mentor in terms of culture building. We built an award-winning culture that won best place to work in ad age fortune and four years in a row through cranes. And that's not normal. You know, I don't take that for granted. But when I see the common theme in all of that is that Sean had a hardcore meditation practice in his 20s when he wrote the Corporate Manifesto. Corporate Manifesto espoused the values that attracted all these nutters like me and 600 other of us to a company where we win these culture awards. So I would say starting with a mindful culture is probably um, the place I'm most passionate about, but, but what I feel is the biggest lever for, for culture. What about what you're going through right now most um, either terrifies you or challenges you? Yeah, I would say that transformation on any level is that double-edged sword of pure exhilaration and absolute terror. You know, I don't, I don't know how a butterfly feels, but you know, I'm sure it doesn't feel much like a caterpillar anymore. And I, and um, so there is that transformative aspect of, you know, like day to day, there are, um, you know, are there financial cliffs, uh, have fiscal cliffs, you know, around every corner? That's the fear, you know, but the reality is that once the house was reconciled, I ended up with more money in the bank. So then it was like a, oh, breath of fresh air. And then it becomes a, um, you know, you're always kind of trying to outpace the imposter syndrome of being out on your own. You know, I know that I was a, you know, a big fish in a small pond for a lot of years, but how am I going to be received by the rest of the world? Those are very real things that we, we must face. Um, but I'd say, What's been beautiful, I mentioned this right before we jumped on, is that I realized how intertwined organizational transformation and personal transformation have been for me. And I just feel very grateful to have worked for a place and to contributed to a place that contributed so much to my personal, you know, they basically not only financed my personal transformation over the last few years since I met you, but also gave me the platform to um, just build and, and create impact. So I you know, as, as scary as those things can be and as painful as it is on some days, I, I could sense in, in my body and in my practice that the rewards are, are just so much bigger. You may have already answered this, but I'm, I'm, gonna, <laughs> I'm curious about it. When you look back over the last sort of four years, um, yeah. what did you think was going to be really hard that turned out not to be as difficult as you thought it was going to be? Wow, that's a great question. What did I think was going to be really hard? You know, you can't really, it's hard to quantify how manifestation shows up in your life. I've always been a pretty spiritual guy and, uh, you know, been really tuned into my energy and stuff. And I always would jog down these streets that I live on now, you know, and I would, I would ride my bike and I'd be really inspired and I, and I would, you know, visualize myself living over here and, you know, near the woods and near these people. And, um, and I thought that you needed, you know, the, the story that goes along with that is you need X, you need to be worth X and have X created and be doing Y and whatever. Um, but on your best days, when you realize you've been slowly, steadily becoming that guy, <laughs> I'd say that um, the real work 
and the real opportunity is showing up every day and being just eager and being willing. And I think that that was, has been my differentiator has been like, what the hell else you got? You know, three jobs. How about four? Let's juggle, light them on fire, you know, <laughs> but, but that, that willingness, um, can be fleeting on some days when you're exhausted and when you're tapped out, you're not doing your self care. But I'd say that that was probably the mountain I was steadily climbing over the last four years. Hmm. All right. So if people remember nothing else about you and your body of work from this episode, what would you want it to be? Yeah. Is that it would have to be that you can't, underestimate the value or the the power that comes from being comfortable enough to sit in silence with yourself. We think that slowing down equals death, but because I'm willing to slow down for 60 to 90 minutes every single day and sit in stillness, everything else in my life speeds up. And sometimes it speeds up at an alarming rate, but most of the time it speeds up in an exhilarating kind of flow kind of rate. So, if, if they take nothing else away from me is that I am an example of a yogi householder. I'm willing to live in the world, but I'm not of the world. And um, those are the people that I study and emulate, you know, and uh, I, w- I would encourage people to, uh, to kind of walk that path. Casey, thanks so much for joining me today and, and sharing your story with everyone. Oh, thanks so much for having me. It's an honor, Charlie. I really appreciate it. Okay, Creative Giant. So you heard it from KC. There's power to sitting in the stillness. There's power in sitting in stillness. What can you do today, whether it be a growth opportunity or a vexing problem, to sit in the stillness of that problem so that it speeds up and solves itself in sometimes exhilarating ways, but, you know, it speeds up and gets itself worked out. Sit with it, and until next time, stand tall. Thanks for listening to The Creative Giant Show. To find more tools and inspiration for creative giants, head on over to ProductiveFlourishing.com. Stand tall, creative giant.